Well, the passage that I would like to draw your attention to today is Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, picking up where we left off last week. It's Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, and the Apostle Paul writes, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I consider it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its truths on our heart today. Father, we thank you for your word. God, your perfect and errant word that teaches us about you and how we are to live in light of what you have done. God, I pray in the next few minutes as we look to your word that you would make it clear to us that you would guard my mouth and these people's ears, that if anything unprofitable would come from my mouth, that it would be forgotten, that it would fall away, and that they would only remember your truth, that which glorifies you. I pray for any among us who do not know you, God, that you would graciously draw them to yourself today. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And when I was a new Christian, I listened to podcasts and read books like a lot of you when you first came to Christ. And I remember listening to this podcast, and there was a story that stuck out to me about a man named Ernie Reisinger. And what was interesting about Ernie is that he had a ministry of going around to Southern Baptist Seminary graduations when the seminary was in a liberal direction, and he would hand out copies of Boyce's uh, theology book to graduates. And so that was his ministry. He had a trunk full of theology books, and he would go around to these, these graduations and just hand them out to guys when it was not cool to like guys like James P. Boyce. And that story stuck out to me. And then a few years later, I, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast or if I read something, but I read about a young seminarian who was training to be a pastor, and he was at this conference, and he was at the tables looking at books because that's what seminarians do. They look at books. And he was looking at this, like, I don't know, I forget how many copies, someone will correct me later, but like 10 to 18 copy uh, volumes of John Owen's uh, works. And he was looking at it like, man, I can never afford that. It's like 
today if you buy it, it's like $600 or something. And so he's looking at it, and this man walks up, this older gentleman, and goes, hey, if you had that, would you read it? And the young guy goes, yeah. And he says, well, pack it up and take it home. It's yours. It was Ernie Reisinger. The same guy that was giving out these books gave this guy books. Well, then I got to Alaska, and I, was, and I was making friends with different pastors, and one of my friends, Rob, you guys know Rob Scott in Dillingham, and I was talking with him, and he goes, well, yeah, I know Ernie. Ernie was my friend. Well, you knew Ernie? You knew this guy they talk about? He said, yeah, I knew Ernie. And so I thought about him this week when I thought about our passage, and I texted Rob, and I said, Rob, if you had to describe Ernie, what would you say in one sentence? And he said, Ernie Reisinger was a good friend and a helpful Christian servant. A good friend and a helpful Christian servant. Well, I feel like that is a good sentence to have in our mind today when we think about our passage. When we think about examples we have in the faith, God gives his church examples of fidelity and encouragement, people that we can emulate, people that we can be encouraged by. You you heard uh, the four of us that went to New Orleans a few months ago talk about the IMB missionary commissioning ceremony and how we all walked out of there somberly thinking, man, I need to not complain so much. Because you had grandparents leaving grandkids to go overseas to serve and to plant churches in foreign lands. You had grandchildren leaving moms and dads and grandparents to go places where they couldn't even show their face because if people in the country they go to found out who they are, they would be killed. And yet joyfully they're going to serve. And we walked out of there saying, man, I wish I was more like that. I wish I didn't complain about the price of groceries in Ketchikan so much. That was, that was my confession. But God gives his church faithful servants to do work, but also as examples. They're found in little faithful churches around the world. There are faithful servants this morning gathering together, teaching Sunday school classes week in and week out. There are deacons who are serving tirelessly without any praise. There are pastors this morning that worked a 40 to 50 hour work week in a secular vocation and spent the night doing sermon prep who will stand with God's word this morning and preach to God's people to the best of their ability. Friends, we have people throughout the church that are examples of faithfulness. So this morning as we look at this passage, I want to ask you, who is an example for you in your walk with Christ? And are you striving to be an example to others? Are you the kind of Christian that others would want to be like? I don't think you have to go to a foreign country. I know you don't have to go to a foreign country to be an example of walking worthy of the gospel. The gospel calls us all to live lives worthy of our calling. And in this passage, Paul provides the church with two examples of faithful Christian servants. Timothy, who genuinely cares about the interests of others and who has proven himself as a faithful servant alongside Paul. And Epaphroditus, who is an example of self-sacrifice. Now, as we're studying Philippians, we see that this letter is to cultivate joy and gospel-centered unity for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have seen so far that we are to live worthy of this gospel that has been bestowed upon the church, and we see Paul's joy during persecution. He's in prison, as Hazel said this morning, he's in prison, but he's happy. 
He's not happy that he's in prison, but he's happy because his joy comes from Christ. And then Paul lays before us the example of Christ. And he says, Christ exampled, and here's our three ministries, an example of how we are to live. Christ was, is God in the flesh, and yet he humbly became man. He humbled himself, and we are to live likewise, humble, obedient lives. And then he moves into Paul, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul has just commanded, in last week's passage, he just commanded the church not to grumble, not to argue, not to... To, to grumble and argue as their spiritual ancestors did in the desert, but to live lives that are unified, centered in God's Word, and then gives us these two examples. First, Timothy, who genuinely cares about the interests of others, and he has a proven character. Look with me at verses 19 through 24 again. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also soon come. So who is Timothy? Well, some of y'all know of Timothy, and maybe some of you, this is you know first time at church, or you haven't been at church long, and you don't know who Timothy is. Well, he's got two letters in the Bible that are named after him. They're the, in the pastoral epistles. There are letters from Paul to Timothy. But Timothy was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and a preacher. He was a disciple of Paul. We often find him in the New Testament running around with Paul or Paul talking about Timothy as we see this morning. Or he's doing both this morning. Timothy's father was Greek and his grandmother and, and mother were Jewish and, and they taught him the Old Testament scriptures. We see that from the pastoral epistles. And so Timothy would have understood both the Jewish and the Roman worlds. He had a foot in both. He's often found with Paul he accompanies Paul on his missionary journeys. He pastored in Ephesus for a period, and Paul wrote to him, giving him advice on how he is to pastor that church. And Timothy is mentioned over 14 places in Paul's letters other than First and Second Timothy. To the Corinthians, Paul says of Timothy, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. A faithful servant and a good friend to Paul. So why is Timothy highlighted here in Philippians? Well, Timothy is highlighted because he's a faithful brother. He cares about the needs of other people. Paul wants to send Timothy to Philippi so he can report back to Paul and tell him how things are going, but for the time being, he needs him there with him. But he tells the Philippians, I don't have anybody else who will genuinely care about your needs the way Timothy will. Because the church was probably faced then with what the church is faced with now, an overabundance of self-interest. Paul says, I got no one else like-minded that will care about your interests, because everyone else is self-serving. Everyone else is seeking their interests, right? Think the church, the person that says, well, I deserve this. 
I, I should have that. I work hard all week, pastor. I shouldn't have to gather with the body if I don't want to. But that's not the heart of Timothy. Timothy genuinely cares about others and about the cause of Christ. Friend, have you ever had anyone in your life that genuinely cares about your needs more than their own? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you can't call to name one person who has cared about you more than they would care about their own needs, but I promise you that you do know one person, or you will by the end of this sermon, because Jesus Christ cared about you more than he cared about his own needs. Paul has already unpacked that. Because God the Son left his home in heaven to become man that you, if you are a Christian, may be in right relationship with the Father. He cared more about your need than about seeing equality with the Father as something to be exploited. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave Himself that we might have a relationship with the Father, friends. And we see from Paul that Timothy is a small reflection of that selfless service. Timothy is highlighted as a faithful brother because he has had his resolve tested He is a faithful brother. He stood by Paul, even when he was in prison. Even during persecution, he didn't leave his side. We talked this morning about John Knox uh, downstairs and how my kids like John Knox and and when we study church history because John Knox kind of got his start in ministry standing in front of a pulpit with a sword and protecting a guy named Patrick Hamilton. And they said, Daddy, how come you don't have a guy that stands in front of the pulpit with a sword to protect you? But Knox stood beside Patrick uh, Hamilton, not Patrick Henry, Patrick Hamilton. In the same way, Timothy stood beside Paul, and Timothy is highlighted because because he is an ally, especially in the times of trouble. He is holding on. He is holding fast. He is standing fast beside Paul. He is a trusted comrade. He is dedicated in the face of opposition. Are you dedicated in the face of opposition? I think like Winston Churchill, late 1930s, Nazis on the rise, the Battle of Britain. People are wondering if Britain's going to fail, and there you have Winston Churchill holding on and pushing Britain forward. Are you that dedicated to the cause of Christ? Because your king is far greater than Winston's. Are you committed to Christ? and his church, even when things get hard? Or are you the person who's really good at arguing with secular people, yet a busy, tiresome week will keep you away from God's people? Are you the person who takes his ball and goes home when you don't get your way? Or are you the person who will sacrifice your rights for God's people? Are you dedicated to God's people as long as it's convenient? As long as no one's in prison? Well, Paul says, I got no one else here that doesn't look to his own interests, except for Timothy. Timothy cares. Timothy's selfless. Timothy is a faithful brother, and I I need him for a little while. However, Epaphroditus, he's also a faithful brother, 
And guys, he's on his way to Philippi. So the second thing we see is Epaphroditus is an example of self-sacrifice. Look with me at verse 25. But I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because he heard because you heard he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him and be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So who is Epaphroditus? Well, we don't know as much about him as we know about Timothy. But what we do know is that he was a member of the church of Philippi, that he was well thought of, that he was an esteemed member, and many scholars through the years have speculated that he might have even been a teacher or a preacher, but we don't know that for sure. But why is Epaphroditus highlighted by Paul? Because he is a faithful brother that almost died in the service of the church. You see, the church wanted to minister to Paul. That's what he talks about when he says, like, your ministry that was lacking to me. But they were far away from Rome, right? They couldn't get to Rome, but they could send Epaphroditus. And so they sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul his physical needs, to be an encouragement to him, to, to, to walk alongside him in this. And he was an encourager in dark days. Friends, have you ever had a brother or sister that encourages you during a life struggle? I mean, this week we've had multiple life struggles in our church. Have you ever had one of those and someone comes alongside you with a casserole and a kind word and points you back to Christ, not just tells you how wonderful you are, but says like, man, isn't it great, the gospel, that even though we experience hardship and struggles down here, one day we don't have to. One day we get to be with Jesus. One day this will all be gone and every tear will be dried. you ever had anyone like that? Maybe you had a counselor during a rough patch or someone that helped you work through a sin issue that held you accountable and, and, and encouraged you and pointed you back to the Scriptures. Someone who sacrificed their safety for you. Fanny Crosby wrote, Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, Praise Him, Praise Him, all of these hymns in the 1800s. But the thing about Fanny is she was blind, if you didn't know that. Blind from infancy. And she lived in New York City, and she was at a school for the blind. And they had a cholera epidemic break out in New York City, and all the other students left for safety, but Fanny stayed. She's blind, she's a student, she's young, and she's ministering to other people. Until finally, because of a couple of close calls, she is forced uh, by her, I don't know if it's school people or whoever, that you have to leave, you have to go. But she stayed and sacrificed for others in the middle of an epidemic. And likewise, Epaphroditus almost dies trying to meet Paul's needs. Epaphroditus is highlighted because he is a faithful brother. 
And because he yearns to be reunited with his church, he doesn't just say, hey, I, you know, I don't really like you guys. I kind of want to get out of here for a while, so I'll go to Rome. No, he wants to be back with them. We see that. He wants to be he's yearning to be reunited, especially because he found out they're worried about him. He got sick and he almost died, and they found out about it somehow or another, and they're worried about him. So he says, hey, I need to go back. I don't want my brothers and sisters worrying about me. You know, I think a lot of times we kind of like the fact that someone's worrying about us. But selflessness says, I don't want people stressing out because I'm sick. When I, I read this story, uh, clear, it reminded me of when I was in Afghanistan. Because if you don't know this, most soldiers do not want their family worrying about them right? Like most soldiers don't get online that night and be like, hey, mom and dad, guess what? We took another rocket today. I remember an incident when we got attacked in Afghanistan and the FRG let our families know that something had happened and most everyone was mad. They said, why would you do that? I don't want my mom and dad worried about me. And that's what we see in Epaphroditus. He, he doesn't want his church worried about him. He wants to go back so they'll know he's okay. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus cares about his brothers and sisters more than his own needs. He cared about Paul's needs, and he cares about the church. And we find in these two men role models. We find in these two men examples to emulate as how we should walk as we strive to walk worthy. As we strive to live lives that are worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ. Friends, as Christians, we must be willing to put the spiritual welfare of others above our own interests. As Christians, we are called to put our wants on the bottom shelf and put one another's needs on the top. We have to endeavor to put others first and not be self-serving. Not be the church that has fallouts because everybody wants to fight about how we ought to spend the money and how we ought to do this or that. And I have four points of application as we think about how we should live in light of this first endeavor to put others first by encouraging and by allowing yourself to be encouraged endeavor to put others first by encouraging and allowing yourself to be encouraged friends you should look to encourage others when they cannot repay your kindness you should look to encourage others when you're not going to be seen, when it's not going to be known, when you're not going to be praised, when you're not going to be rewarded. You should look encourage, to encourage others not just to network, but just to be a reflection of Christ's love in their life. Just to be a reflection of that self-sacrificial love in their life. You should strive not to be the one Paul speaks of when he says, all seek their own interests, not Christ. But also allow others to encourage you. Friends, there is nothing romantic or noble about serving others and then John waning it yourself. We're part of a church. We're part of a family. We are called to lean on one another. When you rob others of the opportunity to encourage you, friends, that is selfishness. That's saying, I got it figured out. I know you don't, and I'm okay helping you, but I, I'm good. 
I'm good, man. I don't need you. I don't need the church. I don't need anybody encouraging me. One of the best illustrations of this is babysitting. And I think this came from a good place, but there have been times in the past, uh, couples that have moved away or left or whatever, when we would want to swap babysitting. We did this a lot in seminary, right? Like seminarians, they're all poor. Uh, you know, they're just trying to take their wife on a date night, and so they'll, they'll date night swap, and watch, you watch my kids on Tuesday, we'll watch your kids on Thursday, we'll go out on a date. And so we tried to do some of that here, but what we found is, is people were more than happy to watch our kids, but they wouldn't allow us to watch theirs. And I think it was because they just wanted to serve us. They didn't want to put more stress on the pastor and his wife. But friends, we want to serve too. We, we want you to watch our kids who we go on a date night, but we want to bless you as well. Friends, as a church, we should mutually encourage one another. Encourage one another and allow yourself to be encouraged. Second, endeavor to put others first by being unified or like-minded. Guys, it takes a lot of selflessness to not always be the right one in the room. Right? And we're not talking orthodoxy. We're not talking about essentials. We're talking about who are the nef- Nephilim or whatever. Like We're talking like Amil Postmill. We're talking like NASB versus ESV. We're talking like uh, hymn book versus off the screen. Friends, it is not humility for you to fight about everything. And it's not honoring to Christ. We are called to have the same mind, which means we have the same mind when it comes to orthodoxy. We are uncompromising. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. That justification is by faith alone. That God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. That Scripture is authoritative and it is God's Word. We don't change on those things. We have one mind in that. But we have the same mind in giving grace in the non-essentials. Be okay with having different views over doctrines that are not essential to the faith. Not saying they don't matter, but that you can be dispensational pre-mill and still be holding to orthodox theology, and you can be ah-mill and still holding to orthodox theology, and they don't have to be a tussle every time we meet. Have the same mind in being okay in those things. Remember that unneeded division and stubborn pride do not honor the Lord. I'll say it again. Unneeded division, and I would say things like orthodoxy is a needed division, right? Unneeded division and stubborn pride do not honor Jesus Christ. They are more about your ego and less about the glory of His name. We are called to be co-workers like Timothy, like Epaphroditus. We are called to work together to build up the church, not tear it down over shenanigans. We are called to advance the gospel, not to be Rambo Christians that come in and say, it's going to be about me today, or to be off on your own. We are called to work together. We each have different gifts so that we each need each other. No one has all the gifts. If you don't use your gifts, we are handicapped. We are to work together. We are to be co-laborers like Timothy and Epaphroditus, we are to be fellow soldiers. We are to strive together. We are to contend together for the once and for all delivered faith. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they have figured out that faithful service 
These men have figured out that faithful service is more important than self-interest. Third, endeavor to put others first by genuinely caring about the needs of others. Genuinely. Right? Not when we can, I don't have my phone on me, take a selfie that we're doing something, but genuinely care. We find selfless nature in both of these brothers. Timothy genuinely cares about the needs of the church. Epaphroditus genuinely cares and was upset when the church was upset over him. We see selflessness is a common thread through both of these men. During the Third Reich, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor in Germany, and he had lots of issues with his theology, so I'm not affirming all of that. But I do think he was an example in, in, in the story I'm going to tell here. In 1939, he came to America to teach theology and to work with German refugees. And he was given the option while he was here in the States of staying. Diedrich, you don't have to go back to Germany. You know what Hitler's doing to guys that don't get in line? Stay. He's faced with this dilemma. He can stay in the U.S. in safety. But to do so, he abandons the confessing church in Germany. Or he can go back to Germany, and, but if he does, he has to face the wrath of the Nazi regime. And he ultimately decides that he can't choose his own safety in another country while his countrymen and his churchmen suffer. And so he goes back to Germany and he's executed before the end of the war for some other stuff, and we won't get into all that because that's not what's important. In that moment, he chose to go back with the flock. And friends, we are not likely to be faced with such a, uh, a crazy decision, but we can choose right now, we can choose the welfare of our brothers and sisters over our own self-interest. We can choose that. Do you have margin in your week in which you can serve others? Or do you pack it so full of stuff that you want to do that if someone pops up and needs a hand, you, you just can't? Do you set aside money for the support of ministry and missions and, and helping brothers and sisters in Christ, or does every cent go to live in your best life? Do you take the time to pray for the church? Or do you spend those few minutes before you fall asleep scrolling through Facebook one more time, seeing what's going on? We are called to endeavor to put others before self when all seek their own interest and not Christ's. Fourth, endeavor to put others first by holding faithful workers in honor. Now, we're not talking here about unhealthily bragging on someone to build up their ego. But we should honor those who serve faithfully. If Ernie Reisinger was here, if he was a member of this church, would we honor him as one who is using his resources to try and help teachers in the church? Or would we say, well, I don't see we use all that money on books for seminarians for. He could use it better. If we had an Epaphroditus, would we pray for him? Or would we grumble, as we saw in the passage last week, that that guy's taking all that money to Rome. We could use it right here in Ketchikan. If we had somebody called to the mission field, would we support him? Or would we argue, hey, we got needs here? 
Friends, Paul says, hold these faithful workers in a place of honor. Hold them in high regard. Walk alongside them. Encourage them. Help them as they they strive for Jesus Christ. How can we hold faithful workers in regard? How, how, How can we encourage the people who volunteer week in and week out to care for children in the nursery? How can we encourage our praise team who come in on Thursday nights and early on Sunday mornings to make sure that they practice for our worship through song? How can we encourage equipping our teachers that take time throughout the week to study that they might see this church built up and know more about evangelism and prayer and and discipleship? Our deacons that are training to serve physical needs of this church, how can we encourage them? Not one of us should come here to receive praise. Not one of us should come here to have our egos puffed up. But at the same time, Paul says, we hold these brothers and sisters in high regard because they're striving for the work of the ministry. And God gives the church examples of fidelity and encouragement to emulate. Paul shows us in this passage how Timothy and Epaphroditus have put into practice these ethical Christian teachings that Paul is telling the church about. They're doing this without grumbling and complaining and seeking to honor the Lord and and love. And the ultimate example, the ultimate example of all this isn't Ernie, it's not Timothy, it's not Epaphroditus, it's not the IMB missionaries even. Paul gave it to us two weeks ago, and it's in Jesus Christ. In our Lord Himself, that He is God, and yet He did not consider equality with the Father as something to be exploited, but gave up His divine right while keeping all of His divine attributes, wrapped Himself in human flesh, came to earth, and walked among His creation. He took the form of a servant. He took the form of an obedient life, obedient to the point of a sacrificial death at the end of a perfect life, the only perfect human life that was ever lived. And he was crucified, and he was spit upon, and he was whipped, and he was treated shamefully, not because he needed anything, but for all of those who would turn to him and call him Lord. Because there's something lacking in us Because we are born dead in sin. Because we are born rebels against a holy God. Because we have spat in the face of Him who is holy. He had His face spat on that we might come boldly before the Father through His rent flesh, through His shed blood. How do we stand in the the shadow of the Christ and talk about what I deserve? How do we walk into this this assembly of brothers and sisters in Christ and talk about, this is my rights? Brothers and sisters, we are to lay aside our rights for others. We are to lay aside our rights in the service of the King, the one who was raised to life and is now at the Father's right hand. And maybe this morning you just need to repent of some selfishness. Maybe you just need to turn from that selfishness and go back onto the path like pilgrim and hopeful in the pilgrim's progress. You've gotten off the path. You just you need to come back. Back onto that straight and narrow path. Back onto the king's highway. Back to walking worthy of the calling in which you have received. Maybe the problem is 
is that you have never entered in the gate. Maybe the reason why you cannot walk through those doors without advocating for yourself is because you do not belong to the king. Maybe the reason, friends, that you find your heart so hardened to your brothers and sisters, maybe the reason that you find your heart so hardened towards the needs of others is because you have never experienced the grace of Christ. And if that is you, my friend, you must do what the Bible says. Repent and believe the gospel today, now. Turn to him. For my king is gracious and merciful to forgive. And it is only in trusting him that you will be able to genuinely and selflessly love others as he has loved others. And if you want to know more about that, please grab me or one of the other elders. Because God gives the church examples of fidelity and encouragement to emulate. He gives us the Timothys, the Epaphroditus, and the Ernies as small pictures of Christ and his selflessness. Father, we praise your holy name today. God, we praise you because you are holy and deserve our praise. God, we praise you because you are our creator and we are creation and it is right and it is due that we would bow before you in praise. But God, we also praise you that you have sent your son to die for our sins that we can pray to you now. And we praise you that you have graciously given us your word and sentence form that we might know you and how to live and that we might know Christ. And God, I pray that this church would be one of selflessness, that this assembly would repent of selfishness and turn to you. And God, I pray that those among us that hear my voice now, that they would not walk out of this building until they have repented and turned to you. God, grant them no sleep because we love them. Father, in all things, we pray that you receive glory. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.